Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha, Friday, June 18th, 2021. Torah portion is Chukas, which is action-packed. I mean, oh my gosh, starting, starting, from, starting with the, the mitzvah of the Paraduma, the red heifer, continuing with the story of Aaron's passing and the water crisis, uh, sorry, Miriam's passing and the water crisis, and then um, the hitting of the rock instead of speaking with the rock and the decree against Moses and Aaron, and then Aaron passing away and the mantle of leadership being transferred, and then the um, complaint of the people about the, oh, and then Edom refusing entry, and then the people, and then having to go around, and people complaining about the length of the journey and the difficulty of the journey and panicking, and then the snake attack, and then the the saving from the snakes with the copper snake on a pole. I mean, you talk about a, a Torah portion that is action. I mean, this is like, this is a throwback to like Genesis and Exodus. This is like tons of action. Leviticus, it was more like the laws. This is a lot of action right here. Yeah. I wonder if every drama that's been ever written can be somehow traced to one of the themes in the Torah. I, I think that's a very interesting question. I think that, that you're onto something. As far as core themes, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on board with that. Yeah. Okay. Let's do this. Let's go to reading number six, which for, uh, for today. Wow. Here we go. We got more stuff. We got more stuff. Numbers chapter 21. We're going to do reading six and seven. The children of Israel journeyed on and camped in Obot, or Ovot. Um, this is after the, the incident with the snakes, right? And they were saved when they looked at the copper snakes, etc. So then they journeyed on and camped in Obot. They journeyed from Obot and they camped in the wasteland passes in the wilderness, which faced Moab toward the rising sun. I like that. Didn't you talk about rising sun a moment ago, Donna? Taking a picture with the rising sun? You can't make this stuff up. Literally, you were talking about sunrise, and we're talking now about the journey toward the, the, uh, the nation of Moab. So if you recall, in the, in the map that I showed a few days ago, so the, a direct route would have been through Edom, but they went around, and they went around toward where other nations were, including the nation of Moab. From there, they journeyed, and they encamped along the stream of Zered. From there, they journeyed, and they encamped on the other side of the Arnon which was in the desert, extending from the Amorite border, for Arnon was the Moabite border between Moab and the Amorites. Concerning this, it is told in the account of the wars of the Lord, what he gave at the Sea of Reeds and the streams of Arnon, basically equating the Sea of Reeds, the splitting of the sea, with what happened at the streams of Arnon. The question is, though, what happened? If the Sea of Reeds was a miracle that the sea split, what happened by the streams of Arnon? That's exactly what we're going to get into in a moment with Rashi. Um, in other words, something happened over here in verse 13. And 14 is saying, uh, you should know, it was as miraculous as the splitting of the sea. And the spilling of the streams had turned to settle at Ar and leaned toward the border of Moab. We're, I'm going to continue and go back and explain it because this, if you're thinking like, what are these verses even saying? So cryptic. You're not alone. It's written in a cryptic fashion, but we have Rashi to help us, which we'll get to in a second. But I just want to go through it. From there to the well. That is to the well of which the Lord said to Moses, gather the people and I will give them water. Then Israel sang the song, ascend, O well, sing to it. A well, dung by, a well dug by princes, carved out by nobles of the people. 
through the lawgiver with their staffs, and from the desert a gift, from the gift to the streams, and from the streams to the heights, from the heights to the valley in the field of Moab, at the top of the peak that overlooks the wastelands. And I would say most of this reading doesn't make sense. When I say it doesn't make sense, sorry, I should be more precise, it's difficult to understand. What is going on? That's Tagarashi, because this is really important. Okay, so the first few verses were simple. They started journeying up along the side of the land of Israel to try to get in, not through Edom. Okay, we got that. But then they came to the Arnon. The Arnon, uh, they camped on the other side of the Arnon, the Arnon River, the stream of Arnon, the Amorite border, Moabite border. Okay, so what's going on here? So let's look at Rashi. Um, extending from the Amorite border. So Rashi says, a strip of, the, of Amorite territory protrudes from the Amorite border into Moabite territory, reaching until Arnon, which is the Moabite border. Basically, um, it's kind of like a border that's not you know, very straight. It, there was a bit of a, a dip in. So the Amorite territory protrudes into Moabite territory until the Arnon River or stream which is the Moabite border. So it kind of like dipped in. And the Israelites camped there without entering the border of Moab. For Aaron was the Moabite border and they did not allow them to pass through the land. Even though Moses did not state this explicitly, uh, Yiftach did explain it. As Yiftach said, also to the king, Jephthah, Yiftach, also to the king of Moab he sent, but he was unwilling. In other words, Moab also did not let them pass through their land. We read about Edom, Moab also didn't let them pass through the land. And so they were circumventing, you know, they were going around the border of Moab. So they encamped on the border or right outside the border on Amorite territory. Um, Moses, however, alludes to it, um, just as the children of Esau who dwell in Seir and the Moabites who dwell in Ar did for me, he meant to say, just as these children of Esau did not permit them to pass through their lands of Edom, but they circled around them, so did Moab too. So, okay, so we have here in Rashi a clarification that Moab did not let them into the land, just like Edom, and thus they were circumventing that, and that's why they were on the other side of the Arnon, um, on the Amorite side of Arnon, not the Moabite side of, of Arnon. Okay, fine. So then, concerning this, it is told in the account of the wars of the Lord, something about the Sea of Reeds and the streams of Arnon. Something about the river of Arnon and the Sea of Reeds being combined in the same conversation, which indicates that something miraculous happened here. What is going on? So take a look at Rashi. Concerning this encampment and the miracles that happened there, it is told in the account of the wars of the Lord, when they relate the miracles that happened to our forefathers, they will relate what he gave, etc. In other words, when later generations will talk about the miracles that God has done, they will mention the streams of Arnon in the same breath as the, sea of, as, a, as the splitting of the sea. Okay? What is that? So, oh, so let's do one more, let's do another Rashi over here before we get to the, to the punchline. Just as we recount the miracles of the Red Sea, so we should recount the miracles that happened at the streams of Arnon. If you're here too, many great miracles were performed. What were those miracles? Dot, dot, dot. Let's, let's, let's get into the miracles. Okay, here we go. The spilling of the streams. The Aramaic translation of Shefech spilling is Eshed, the spilling of the streams, for there the blood of the Amorites who were hidden there was spilled. So there was blood spilled at this encampment. And here Rashi explains, this is going to explain what happened. All right, so buckle up. 
Here's the story. The mountains were high and the gorge deep and narrow. And the mountains were so close to each other. So just, just so you picture it, there was like mountains like this, right? Mountains like this. Oh, hold on. Let me stop sharing for a second so you can see my hands, right? Mountains like this. There was a deep gorge in the middle and like the mountains like this. But the mountains were so close to each other, right? One, one, one side and the other side, they were so close, Rashi says. Let me share my screen again. Um, and the mountains were so close to each other that a man standing on the mountain on one side of the gorge could speak to his fellow standing on the mountain on the other side. So you could have a conversation from one side to the other. So there's a deep gorge beneath with a river. I mean, you could picture the Grand Canyon or something. I don't know if it's, you know, I've never been there personally, like in, in, in the flesh, but like, you know, deep gorge, the river and two mountains and, and facing each other. And they were, they were so close, you could have a conversation. No cell phone required. A road, I'm sorry, not, not a river, a road passed along the floor of the gorge. Okay? Oh, that's very important to the story, obviously, not a river, a road. So there was a road at the bottom and mountains. The Amorites said, because remember they were in Amorite territory, when the Israelites enter the land by passing through the gorge, we will come out of the caves in the mountains above them and kill them with arrows and stones shot from catapults. So basically the Jews would be walking along the road and high up in the mountains, there will be these caves where these Amorite warriors will be hidden. And their plan was that they're going to shoot bows and arrows, shoot arrows and throw down rocks and crush, and crush the Jewish people, God forbid. Now, there were clefts in the rock on the Moabite side of the canyon and directly opposite those, those clefts on the mountain of the Amorite side, there were protrusions, apparently like horns and breasts. When the Israelites prepared to pass through, the mountain of the land of Israel trembled like a maidservant going out to greet her mistress and moved towards the mountains of Moab. Then those breastplate protrusions entered the clefts, killing the Amorites. So the Amorites were hiding inside the cave on their side. On the other side, there were protrusions, like rock formation protrusions. And literally those two Mountains moved together with the protrusions going into the caves and crushing the enemy, the Amorite warriors that were inside. This is the meaning of that turned to settle at Ar. The mountain swung from its place and moved toward the side of the Moabite border and attached itself to it. Thus, it leaned on the border of Moab. That's what the Midrash says. So this is a very elaborate story. I don't know if it's that elaborate, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a, almost a hidden story. It's alluded to in the verses here. That what happened was the mountains, or one mountain at least, moved to the other, crushed the enemy that was laying in wait, or lying in wait, and that was it. That was the end of the, of the Amorites, or those Amorites that were trying to kill the Jews. Right? They thought they would have an easy target. The Jews will be walking through in, 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 in a few days, and psh, that's it. They'll get rid of them all. Surprise uh, guerrilla warfare, or whatever, a surprise attack from, from the mountains. Meanwhile, before they even got started, they were crushed to death by the moving mountains. Um, now, listen to this. 
from there to the well. What does that mean, Rashi says? From there, the flow of blood came to the well. How? The Holy One, blessed be He, said, Who will inform my children of these miracles? The prophet goes, if you give a child bread, inform his mother. In other words, at least, let it be known that you did something good. So Hashem wanted to let the Jews know that He did something nice for them. So after they passed through, the mountains returned to their places, and the well descended into the stream, and brought up the blood of the slain, their arms and their limbs, and carried them around the camp. The Israelites saw them and sang a song. So basically, the mountains opened up, and the blood and the limbs, uh, without, I, I guess there's no way not to get gory here, it's a bit gory, um, flowed in, this, in the well in the stream, um, and it, they, it, was, it was seen by the Jewish people, and they realized what had happened. They realized that there was an enemy that was laying in wait, and they got crushed to death. So then Israel sang a song. Israel sang a song. Um, Ascend, O well, from the stream, and bring up what you are to bring up. How do we know that the well informed them? For it says, from there the well. Was it really from there? Was not the well with them since the beginning of the 40 years? However, it descended to proclaim the miracles. Similarly, then Israel sang the song, was said at the end of 40 years, but the well was given to them at the beginning of the 40 years. Why was the song written here instead of earlier? Because the subject of the song is explaining the connection to what precedes it in the, in the above text. So when they sang a song about the well, ascend a well, it wasn't just about the water that they had. Because they had that for 40 years. If it was about the water, why they only sing it now at the end of the 40 years? It was specifically about the miracle that the well showed them, the miracle of the crushing of the enemy in the caves. Okay. Um, just looking at other Rashis. Listen, I, I, I covered the Rashis that, that tell the story. There's still a lot of poetry here. There's a song and poetic, uh, poetic um, descriptions here. But at the core, I'm going to hide Rashi now. At the core, what we have here is a miracle that happens. A preemptive strike. To use modern terminology, a preemptive strike. Where God strikes... The Amorites, who were going to attack the Jewish people, who had prepared for the attack, instead of waiting for that attack and defending and, and, and fighting back and engaging in a war, Hashem said, nope, you're done. Crushed. And then Hashem said, but if, if I just crush them and, and no one knows about it, how will the Jew Jewish people know that I did a miracle for them? So what did he do? He opened up the mountains again. And he caused the stream to flow from the well, a stream to flow, and it carried around the, uh, the blood and the limbs to really demonstrate or to illustrate or to show the people, the Jewish people, what had happened. Okay, so that is, that's the reading. Does that make sense, the story-ish? Okay. Um, it's one of those hidden stories in Torah. It's not hidden. It's hidden in plain sight, but it's not, you don't see it clearly from the text itself, but it's... It's the story of what the text means, and it makes sense when you read the text with that story in mind. Um, one thing to note is a timeless message, and the timeless message perhaps is about the miracles that are done behind, behind the scenes. Right? This was a miracle behind the scenes. Sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. But we have to know that there are so many miracles that happen behind the scenes that pave the way for our safe journeys in life. 
I mean, how often is it that things go off without a hitch? I woke up this morning, and here I am, all good. We take it for granted that things went off without a hitch. How much has to happen in the background, so to speak, to pull off, you know, life, right? And just existence, let alone the miracles that happen every day, you know. The, and sometimes we notice it. When it's happening, sometimes we notice it right after the fact. Sometimes we'll never notice it. Sometimes there are these hidden miracles that happen behind the scenes that pave the path for us, that allow us to live our normal lives without disruption. That's a special thing. Okay. Um, Let's continue with reading number seven for tomorrow, for Shabbos. Okay, uh, now we get to the Amorites. Now we get to the Amorites. Okay. Israel sent messengers to Sichon, the king of the Amorites. You could probably guess what the message is going to be. Can we go through your land? We're not going to touch you. We're not going to hurt you. We just want to go through. Saying, let me pass through your land. This, this will sound familiar. We will not turn into fields or vineyards, nor drink well water. We shall walk along the king's road until we have passed through your territory. We're not going to bother anybody. We're not going to harm you. We'll only feed the economy. Okay, but Sichon did not permit Israel to pass through his territory. And Sichon gathered his people and went out to the desert toward Israel. Ooh, this is different than before. The Edomites, they stood in their land with arms saying, don't come in. These guys came out into the desert toward Israel. You see, you see the difference? These guys actually came out to wage war against the Jewish people. He arrived at Jahaz. In Hebrew, it's Yatza. And fought against Israel. So they started. Sounds like a children, right? He started first. Israel, well, it, okay. A few days ago, I said the message. You don't have to fight every fight. You can go around. But what happens if somebody is, it's not a possible fight. What happens if somebody actually starts fighting with you? You have to defend yourself. This is what happens. Israel smote him with a sword and took possession of his land from Arnon to Jabok, Yabok, as far as the children of Ammon, for the border of the children of Ammon was strong. Israel took all these cities, and the Israelites dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites in in Hezbon Hezbon, and all its villages. For Hezbon was the city of Sichon, the king of Amorites, and he had fought against the first king of Moab, taking all his land from his possession as far as Arnon, in other words, there had been other wars that the kings had fought, and Amo, the Amorites. Hold on. Yeah, the Amorites had taken, had fought against Moab and taken some of their land. Whatever it is, whatever the case may be, the Jewish people asked to go through the Amorite lands. The Amorites say no, and they start a war, and the Jewish people are victorious, and they take some of the cities and they capture some of the land. Concerning this, verse 27, concerning this, those who speak in parables, that's referring to Balaam, the evil prophet, which we'll learn about next week. Who we'll learn about next week. So concerning this, those who speak in parables, 
say, come to Cheshbon. Sounds like a Torah's message. Come to Cheshbon. May it be built and established as the city of Sichon. For fire went forth from Cheshbon, a flame from the city of Sichon. It consumed Ar of Moab, the masters of the high places of Arnon. Woe is to you, Moab, you are lost people of Chemosh. His sons he has given over as refugees and his daughters into captivity to Sichon, king of the Amorites. Their kingdom is destroyed from Cheshbon. It has been removed from Dibon. We laid them to waste as far as Nofa, which is near Mediba or Medva. All right. Well, that's what the parabolist Balaam said about the ancient wars between Moab and, 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 the, and the Amorites and all that stuff. But bottom line, verse 31, Israel settled in the land of the Amorites because they had conquered some land in the war. Moses sent men to spy out Yazer, Jazer, Yazer, and they captured its villages, driving out the Amorites who lived there. Then they, and this was justified because, again, these nation, or this nation had attacked them. So now they were on the defense and, and pushing back. And, and taking the offensive now. Then they turned and headed north toward Bashan. Oh, the king of Bashan came out toward them with all his people to wage war at Edre. The Lord said to Moses, now we have another war. Right, so the Jews, okay, so the Jews defended themselves, fought and captured some land. Then the people turned, I'm just going to reread verse 33. Then they turned and headed north toward Bashan. Again, on their journeys toward Israel, they headed toward another, through another land. O came out toward them with his people to wage war. The Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him his people and his land into your hand. You shall do to him as you did to Sichon, the king of the Amorites, who dwells in Cheshbon. In other words, you just were victorious, you'll be victorious again, no need to worry. Now, Og, the king of Bashan, was a giant. This Og was a jolly green giant. He wasn't jolly, he wasn't green, but he was a giant. Um, and it was a formidable battle. So that's why God says to Moses, Do not fear him. Og also, interestingly enough, lived many, many centuries. He was around in the times of the flood. I mentioned this before. He was holding on to the ark. He was holding on to the boat. That's how he survived the flood, the great flood of Noah. This guy, Og, was there. Og was also the guy who told Abraham about his nephew, Lod, being captive, being taken captive in, in, the, in the regional war, in the world war that happened then. And it says that his... His, um, his motivation was that Abraham should get, him, should get um, involved in the war and then get killed in battle. So that he could marry Sarah. He wanted to marry Sarah because she was so beautiful. So Og had his eyes on Abraham's wife, our matriarch Sarah. Nonetheless, bottom line is he's, he helped rescue Lot by giving the info to Abraham. So God says to Moses, do not fear him. In other words, the fact that he has, even though he has a merit under his belt, don't fear him. For I've delivered him, his people's land into your hand, and you'll do to him as you did to Sichon, king of the Amorites, and you'll be victorious over him. They smote him, Og, his sons and all his people, until there was no survivor, and they took possession of his land. The children of Israel journeyed and encamped in the plains of Moab, chapter 22. They encamped in the plains of Moab across the Jordan from Jericho. Well, that seems to be a pretty final position, right? That's ultimately where they would enter the land of Israel. They would, the first city that they would enter is Jericho. So here they are in the plains of Moab, across the Jordan from Jericho. That's how they entered. They crossed the Jordan, 
and they went into Jericho, ultimately with Joshua. Ultimately, that's how they got in. So you could see here with this last verse of this week's Torah portion, how the Jews are ready. They're in, they're in, their, they're in, they're in the right location to make that jump into Israel. But of course, we have a lot more Torah to talk about before that happens. Donna. Yeah, um, no, number um, 35, I'm confused uh, who that's referring to. Og, the giant. So he perished. Yeah. They killed him in, the, in this war right now. Yeah. Why? Because he started up with the Jewish people. Right? Og, king of Bashan, came out toward them with all his people to wage war. So they fought back, and they ended up killing him, his sons, and all his people. You know, you picture David and Goliath, right? Like little David and big Goliath. Here was Og and Moses. It wasn't exactly the same thing, but a similar concept. You had this massive giant. God tells Moses, don't be afraid. And indeed, he beats him back. So what's interesting is that in this week's Torah portion, we have two, two different approaches. When it came to Edom... Edom said no, and if you come in, we're going we're gonna to defend our land, we're going to fight. And so the Jews said, fine, we're not going to go in. But these other nations, the Amorites, right, the Sichon, um, um, king of the Amorites, and Og, Og, the king of Bashan, they didn't just say, we're going to defend our land if you come in. They went out to, white, to, to wage war against the Jewish people. They provoked, so they provoked... So that you got to defend yourself. And, that, and that's, that's what happened. Um, let's see if there's an interesting Rashi here or two. Um, ba, 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 ba. So if you notice this, Moses sent men to spy out Yazer. And Rashi says, and the spies captured it. They said, we shall not do like the first group of spies. We have such confidence in the power of Moses' prayer that we're able to do battle. This is, again, at the end of the 40 years, like 38 years, 39 years later, but they were not like the first spies. So Moses is not afraid to send out spies again, right? He does so here, even though the first ones, like, really didn't end well. Nonetheless, um, take a look. God tells Moses, don't fear Og. Moses was afraid to fight against him. Why? Not because he was a giant. Only. But lest the merit of Abraham advocate for him. As it says, the refugee came. This, is, this was Og. Og is considered a refugee. Who had escaped from the Rephaim who were sw- smitten by Cher de Omer and his allies at Ashroth Karnaim. As it says, only Og, the king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. So, Og survived from that world war that was going on at that time. There was a massive war between four nations and five nations, huge battle, and Og escaped from one of those defeated places, and he was the refugee who came to tell Abraham about his nephew being taken captive, and thus it saved Lot's life. And so Abraham was very happy with Og, even though I said before that Og had really ulterior motives, that Abraham either did or didn't know, probably didn't know um, at the time, and still Moses was afraid. And so there's a beautiful comment on this from the commentaries that says, look, Moses was afraid of Og's merit, even though his mitzvah 
was steeped in self-interest. The mitzvah that he did to save a life was all because he wanted Abraham to be killed in battle so he can marry dude's wife. Abraham, right? Abraham's wife. So like, you, and that's a mitzvah? Yeah, because ultimately it was a mitzvah. Ultimately it was a good deed because it saved Lot's life. And Abraham was happy. And he didn't die. Which tells us that if, if there's such a great merit produced by a mitzvah done for such ulterior motives, can you imagine doing a mitzvah for the right reasons? Or even for, for neutral reasons, not devious intentions? So that's the power of a mitzvah. Even when done with devious intentions, it's a merit. So much so that Moses, hundreds of years later, probably 400 years later, is afraid of Og because of this merit. Ultimately, God says, don't worry, you got this. But it was still something to consider. That's the power of a mitzvah. That's the power of a mitzvah. Oh, it looks like there's an interesting story. Look at this. Moses slew him. Moses actually himself killed Og. As it says in Trate Brachot, in Harav 54b, he uprooted a mountain of three parasangs, intending to throw it at the Israelites and crush them. So it seems... seems that he was intending to um, to destroy. Okay, I want to open up now 54B in Brachot and see what the story is. Oh, look at this! The blood flowed down, streams of Arnon. That's this. This story that we said in Rashi is in the Talmud right here. Obviously, Rashi didn't just make it up, right? They said... They hid in the caves. When Israel passes, we will kill them. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Fine. So that's, we said that before. I want to get to the, 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 um, the Og. Ari. Yeah. I've got something here, which you're probably going to cover. But this, this is the Gemara, it's a note. It says the Gemara continues. Uh, he, in other words, Og, intended to drop the, that mountain on the Israelites and kill them. Yep. He re- he raised it over his head. Yep. The holy blessed is he brought ants who made a hole in the rock and it rested upon Og's neck with his head to the hole. Moses was 10 Amos tall. He took an axe 10 Amos long, jumped 10 Amos and struck Og on the ankle and killed him. Yeah, so that's right here in the Gemara. Let's, let's read it. Yeah, let's read it inside. It's on the screen. With regard to the rock that Og King Abashan sought to throw upon Israel. There is no biblical reference, but rather a tradition was transmitted. In other words, it's, the, it's a story in our family, in our tradition. We know The Gemara relates that Og said, How large is the camp of Israel? It is three parasangs. Whatever that distance in, in length and space is. I will go and uproot a mountain, three parasangs long. He was, a, he was a giant after all. And I will hurl it upon them and kill them. I'm going to throw a mountain on top of them and crush them. He went, uprooted a mountain, three parasangs long, and brought it on his head, like above his head, right, to throw it at them. The Holy One, blessed be He, here it says grasshoppers. So I don't know if it's grasshoppers or ants, but something. Brought grasshoppers or ants upon it, maybe termites, and they pierced the peak of the mountain, and it fell on His neck. So basically, He was going to throw it, but there was enough holes that it just, it, it just fell around His neck. 
Og wanted to remove it from his head. His teeth were extended to one side of his head and to the other, and he was unable to remove it. That's what's written, you break the teeth of the wicked. And this is in accordance with the homiletic interpretation of, of Rabbi Shimon Lakish. As Rabbi Shimon Lakish said, what is the meaning of that which is written, you break the teeth of the wicked, do not read as you break, you, but rather you lengthened. Basically, it seems like his teeth were extended one side of his head and to the other. I don't know, maybe his, it fell on him weird. He couldn't get it off his neck. The story concludes, how tall was Moses? He was 10 cubits tall. He took an axe 10 cubits long, jumped up 10 cubits, and struck Og in the ankle. That's how big Og was. That 10, 10, 10 only reached this guy's ankle. Um, one must recite a blessing when he sees the rock upon which Moses sat. Oh, okay, no, that's something else. Okay. Wow, it's so interesting. I want to keep on going. All right, whatever, fine. But the bottom line is, that's the story of how Moses killed Og. You can, I just picture, I personally, I just picture this giant with this mountain lick stuck on his head and he can't see anything. He's flailing around and Moses comes, gets his ankle. And I guess once the ankle was hit, I guess Oak fell and either he, he died in the fall or once he fell, Moses got rid of him because otherwise he couldn't reach to any vital. I don't think the Talmud is, is indicating is is um, meaning to say that the ankle is a, you kill someone by the ankle. I don't think that's what that is. It's a, he hit his ankle and then he fell and then that brought about the end. So what's the moral of the story? Don't pick up a mountain to throw it at your friends. What do they say? Don't throw stones in gla glass houses, people in glass houses. So people who are giants shouldn't try to throw mountains to flatten the Jewish people. There you go. Um, also the message is, let someone through. And also the message is, if you don't want to, at least don't fight with them. Just say, go around. That's it. Anyway, the Jews were not commanded to go and destroy every nation and to fight every nation on the way. That was not the instruction. That was not the plan. Edom said, don't come in. And we're going to defend it. If you come in, we're going to consider you to be invaders. Okay. They didn't go in. But these other ones, the Amorites, the Bashanites, they went out to war against them. They, they tried to destroy the Jewish people. And so, somebody who comes to kill, you get up and kill them first. That's the way it works. The last, the first generation was afraid of. That's one reason they didn't want to leave, right? 100%. You're right. 100%. Thanks for pointing that out. It wasn't easy. This wasn't easy. Seems like, based on everything that we've discussed and learned, you know, up until, that, yeah, that first generation did not, was, what, I need this in my life? <laughs> I have enough trauma, right? I was a slave in Egypt. I don't need this. I want to stay in the desert, eat manna from heaven, have the wealth from Miriam, study Torah under Moses, and call it a day. That's it. Nothing wrong with that. But the next generation... I mean, this is, you know, we got a flat tire on the highway, God forbid, it causes lots of panic, right? This is like next level. I was driving, the reason why I mentioned it, I was driving yesterday on Piedmont Road, and I see a car, flashers on, slow in the right lane, back left tire. Were you with me, Shalom? 
the guy who's, no, Ellie was. The back left tire is like wobbling. I'm like, no, not cool. A few seconds later, maybe 30 seconds later, the whole wheel goes, not the wheel, the whole tire comes off. It like psh, disintegrates. And the guy is still, he's going slow, but he's still humming along. Come to the stop sign, to the light. You know there's a Sprouts on, um, on Piedmont Road near, kind of near this neighborhood. There's like a Sprouts thing, whatever. Doesn't matter where it happened. But there's... By Bye. Maybe the... What? Um, I don't know. By Cheshire Bridge. By Cheshire Bridge, exactly. Yeah, by Cheshire, right, 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 yes. Yes, by Cheshire Bridge. Thank you. Um, so I'm, I'm at the... So, so the guy pulls up the light and somebody else pulls next to him and he's like, bro, you can't drive on that. You're driving now on the, on the actual... That's going to mess up a car. Right, that's not a tire anymore. That's not a $150 tire. That's like a whole situation. So I think at that point the guy stopped. It looked like he pulled over and stopped. I was, I was like a few cars behind. I could see it though. I'm like, this is not, someone's got to let that guy know. It's worse than he thinks. Um, anyway, why am I saying all of this? Because, oh, yeah, that's, tr it's stressful. You know, oh, now I needed to get somewhere and I have to change a tire. I got to call, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I got a toad. Or, although it's right by Cheshire Bridge. There's all these places on right there. But whatever, it's still stressful. But you know what's really stressful? Og. <laughs> and, you know, the Amorites try. It, it, you know, you wake up in the morning. It's like, it's, there's stress. So, next generation, they were, they were here for the stress. That's what's going on in Israel still, right? Uh, yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah, it's, there's like, you know, there's all this stuff. Now they're sending balloons with incendiary devices. It's crazy. All right, we need to pray for peace, and we need to be strong and courageous. We need to remember God's words to Moses, don't be afraid. Maybe a little afraid, but not be like too afraid to, to do what we need to do. And, uh, and may, we, may we handle all of our challenges with grace and confidence, and with God's help, we will be successful. So uh, that th that's it for today. Yeah, sorry, Donna. On yesterday, we were talking about how the Rebbe transcended to become a Rebbe. Yeah. But since his passing, what do you think the, the outlook for another Rebbe? That's a good question. I was thinking about, um, as I was saying yesterday's conversation, I'm like, you know, the... The elephant in the room is so new, how come there's no new Rebbe? And, you know, I, the, the simple answer is, well, all of the other Rebbe's had a son or son-in-law, and there was like a family type of thing, and this Rebbe didn't have any children. Um, and the other thing is, the Rebbe always was saying that this is the last generation of, of Galut, of exile, and the first generation of redemption. In other words, like, this is it. This is it. So... So this is it. We're not... Uh... And also the Rebbe gave enough, left enough instructions to keep us busy. So that's, that's the good news. And the Rebbe also, in a certain extent, decentralized a lot of it, where it's like on the ground. Of course, there's still a role of a Rebbe, of a spiritual leader, but again, there's enough communication that's, you know, letters and 
talks and videos and audio and, you know, all sorts of stuff to look at and be inspired and get direction from. And then the mandate on the ground, that doesn't change, that's for sure. Yeah, but it's a good question. I don't know that I have a, I don't know that that's a you know, satisfactory answer, but that's the best answer that I can, that I, that I have. Mark, what, what you got? Yeah, something occurs to me. Uh, when we, someplace else, we read, uh, you're to dull their teeth. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like Og had a special connection to God. Because when it, it, when it talks about his teeth being broken, did that stop his ability to contact God? I would just, I don't know. Just Interesting. Curtain. Maybe. Could be. Could be. It says, by the wicked son at the Seder, we dull his teeth, right? That's the response to the wicked son. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Something, something to think about and some food for thought. We can chew on it over Shabbat. There you go. Um, finally, I want to mention Sunday. Um, there are two things now for Sunday, or three things. Kabbalah and coffee, of course, Sunday morning. But in the afternoon, um, we're doing a, memori- a Zoom memorial event for my grandfather that you are all invited to join. I'm going to send out an email, please, God, this afternoon um, to, you know, to friends um, and uh, more of the inner group. It's not going to be like a, an email blast. It'll be more of a, a personal email with the Zoom information. The memorial event will be from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. on Sunday um, with some remarks, conclusion of the study of the Mishnah, and uh, some music and, and that sort of thing. So that's coming up Sunday in honor of my grandfather. And then also um, Sunday at 7 p.m., we have an event, Escape from Cairo, with a fascinating fellow who grew up in Egypt, grew up uh, taught to hate Jews, and his journey to kind of turn around and uh, turn his life around and discover love instead of hate. So that's happening Sunday at 7 p.m. So we've got a busy day Sunday. All right, lots of, lots of Zooming. Zooming all over the place. Okay, good. Good to see you all. Have a good Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Oh, wow, Chala. Sandrine, love it. Look at that. Look at that. Now it's Shabbos. Now, now it's looking good. All right. Enjoy. Shabbat Shalom. Take care. Bye, everybody. Pleasure.